Good evening and welcome to the Game Planet Show, aka What Do You Got? I am Matt McGuire, editor of Game Planet. Sitting opposite from me is Baz McDonald, freelance journalist. Hello, Baz. Hello. Sitting to his left, to my diagonal, is retro gaming nerd Alan Bell. Hello, Alan. I think that's what we agreed to call me. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, sitting to Alan straight ahead, to Baz's diagonal, to my right, is Bogan in Reformation. Oh, a reform? No, I'm not reformed. Not reformed? Yeah. Recovery, I think it was. <laughs> Chris Brown. Hello, maybe, Chris. Maybe in denial. <laughs> Good evening. Bogan in denial. Um, we were thinking about calling this podcast, What Do You Got? And this is why, Baz, what do you got? Uh, so, um, last Friday, the embargo came up for Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, and I um, was the reviewer for Game Planet. So uh, I gave the game a 7 out of 10, which seems a bit lower than most outlets seem to be giving it. Mm. Uh, And most of my argument was that uh, even though the visuals are really well done, the games look great, especially Warped, which has like more uh, backgrounds and stuff and the perspectives are quite interesting. So like when I was playing Warped, I really appreciated how good the game looked. But in general, the thing that I got frustrated with was that they were sort of adhered to the principles of the game too well. Uh, I sort of said in the review that they seem to have taken out every pixel and polished it and just plonked it right back in place. So the game feels exactly the same. They haven't uh, they haven't adjusted any of the platforms to you know work better because people complained a lot about those games. You know, like some jumps, some obstacles, some challenges were unfair, not because they were you know skillful because they were just badly executed in some ways and they just they decided not to redo any of it so there's no platforms which are closer there's no uh, obstacles which are less ridiculous and the checkpoints are all in the same place so i was just annoyed with the idea that they would completely redo it from the ground up and yet not put the time into you know polishing it to modern platforming standards that's the problem right like how do you how do you approach a retro game these days can do you remake it and therefore satisfy all the people who are obsessed with the detail of the original or do you actually make it adhere to what we would consider to be appropriate modern day um i don't know expectations if you like or do you sack up and make it an original ip (laughs) (laughs) um i guess the the real question to ask is who is the game made for because if it's made for those that want to replay the game again but it'd be prettier I mean this is exactly what they got mm-hmm. but if you're looking at uh, a new audience who has never played them before maybe you get what Baz has the case of this is needlessly frustrating so I think someone like me who loves the original games back in the day would probably go this is exactly what I want this is a prettier version this is the game I remember playing 20 years ago mm. so it's fine is this um, where we have to fight because the only redeeming quality those original games had was the sound design. Everything else about them was shit. Oh, well, like hot garbage. Yeah. He's not wrong. Like, like even if you go and look at the original, um, he's not wrong. Seven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> With the original reviews, like people said. You know, like, it has issues in its platforming, but a generation fell in love with those games for what they were. And so my issue is, is that they had an opportunity to fix the problems that people have had for decades, and they chose not to, not because it wasn't the right choice for those games, but because people were attached to a bad... Well, not bad isn't fair. Like... And Those games overall are great, but there are aspects to them which are very average. Yeah, well, I guess you're always going to fall into the same trap, though, aren't you? It's a case of who you're going to piss off. 
Yeah. Because let's be honest here, um, curmudgeonly old bastards like me are going to come back and maybe this isn't the best example of it, but you take a game which is beloved for whatever reason, you polish it, and then you change some parts to make it streamlined or less difficult or clean it up in some way and you've inherently changed the experience in a way outside of the visual presentation mm-hmm. yeah. and you've basically alienated those people and they're going to shout down the rafters telling you just how fucking awful this game is and you've ruined it. Yeah. But having said that, I mean, if you're going to spend the time and spend the money on redoing the game, why wouldn't you take every opportunity to make it a better game? That's my argument. I think that's precious, what you're saying. People are just being precious because... It's not like those older versions don't exist. If they want to play them, they yeah. can play them. And I mean, like, we should take opportunity... Like, if we're going to keep remaking games in this way, then we should expect that they are upgrading not just the visual fidelity, but also... Like, there's so much to learn from. I sort of called out things like the Rayman games. Like, those games. those games are so good. And there's just been so many platforms in the last platformers in the last couple of decades that they could have learned from and clearly have learned from because they make other platformers in the modern era but they chose not to for no other reason but not to upset people let, let me throw this out there then uh shadow of the colossus is getting a remake <laughs> and the the chap whose name escapes me that created shadow of the colossus first time around yeah he said there's stuff that i want to change about it and he's written to sony saying this is what i want you to change in the remake Oh Jesus! Yeah, right. So, what about the frame yeah, rate? Should... There's an interesting one. There, yeah. was, there was a game that really did not hold up on PS2. Like it, it was really challenged by the frame rate. Well, right? it's, it's actually the movement that people are most worried about with that remake because he said in early interviews and has said with all the the Team Ico games that they don't move awkwardly because they did a bad job designing them. He very specifically designed the movement to feel burdened some way in the same way that humans are burdened in movement every day not me bro light as a feather <laughs> dude you call me float, fat float like a butterfly <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying like we can't move like people in games really mo- uh, move in games mm. so when you play a realistic version of how a person really moves it's like oh, why are they so clunky yeah so, but like he he wanted it to be that way so people are worried that when they do these remakes they're going to but the thing is, is that like there's a difference between making a stylized choice like that and just like vaguely mediocre placement of a platform. You know, like mm. there there are levels in Crash Bandicoot One in particular where it's not your fault that you're not making those jumps, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like it's the same argument they had for all the NES and SNES yeah. games. It's like you're going to play this game for ages. We want to make it so that you're yeah, banging so, your head against the wall sometimes. Yeah, but so I, I guess that uh, comes down to the original argument again. It's who you're making the game for because that that kind of repetition or that the fact that you need to find the right way of doing things is kind of part of the challenge in those games and part of the reason why some people, including myself, quite like them. It's a case of, oh, I should be able to make that, but it's one of those, the, the pixel-perfect platformers, you remember those? Mm-hmm. In the case of you need to be standing precisely in this spot in order to land on that spot over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Crash has, and whether it's by design or not, it certainly has aspects of that. And I remember those parts where I got stuck and really frustrated but I'm one of those people that if I get stuck and I finally get past it, there's a 
real sense of satisfaction and achievement out of that. Because let's be honest here, the only challenge in those games is the artificial challenge they put into it by making some of that stuff a little bit more difficult. Otherwise, exactly. otherwise it's just basically a straight run through. I, but I mean, like, saying, but to me, that feels like, in the case of Crash, in the case of Prince of Persia, that's deliberate design decision. Okay, so they they're absolutely making it so that you have to get those pixel perfect jumps, and then you get that sort of satisfaction of going, yeah, I made it. I think in Crash that was an accident. That was poor game design, limited technology, and they ended up having this shit because it was artificial and accidental. I don't think that was deliberate. Yeah, well, neither do I. But uh, I, yeah, and it's like I'm not defending the original games, and I'm certainly not defending the implementation and the and uh, the remaster or remake or whatever it is. But it's one of those things. Is like how much of the game's identity is actually attached to those things. I mean, how many people are actually remember the game for those frustrating bits and people, uh, bits and pieces, and how many people don't remember them all, and they're going to buy it and go, oh, fuck. And go, but, Crash Bandicoot is the Dark Souls of 3D platformers. <laughs> yeah, but I think we've even learned in that pixel-perfect space. Like, look at something like Super Meat Boy, which understood that people like that aspect, but they're like, okay, how do we improve on it? How do we make it more satisfying? And that game has a real issue. A large part of the challenge is these no-death runs in Crash Bandicoot, right? They're not fun, number one because Vicarious Visions has somehow managed to have like 30 second load times every time you want to reload a level which is outrageous <laughs> like on a two decade old game you can't diminish the load times um, so that really pissed me off and pretty much makes the whole concept Are you of... sure you don't want to drop the score down a little bit? But here's the thing I, I wasn't judging Naughty Dog's games that's not my job as reviewing this collection my job Mm. is to review the re-release of these games so I sort of had to make it clear that the games are great and they hold up great for what they were two decades ago but I Mm. think that Vicarious Visions didn't do their job in bringing it to a 2017 standard yeah I concur Alan me what do you got I mean so, uh, I, the thing I want to talk about first is I've been playing the Necromancer expansion for Diablo 3. So, I've, I've just basically rediscovered Diablo 3 recently. I picked up at the end of Season 10, which is just completed, and um, did another playthrough with another Crusader. I've got about five or six max level characters on there, and I was just sort of getting back into that when the whole Necromancer news dropped. And I was like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I miss from Diablo 2, this class, which... Um, arguably um, is served by some of the other classes a little bit in Diablo 3 now. So I was quite interested to see where they take it. I'm only, because uh, I've only just started, it's only just come out, um, but I'm up to about level 65 or something like that. Pretty easy to level it. Um, and I'm just, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm summoning things, I'm resurrecting things. There's nothing quite as thrilling as taking down an elite pack and then resurrecting them and they're running around after you, killing shit for you. I'm casting bolts all over the place. I'm summoning all these badass dudes that are firing shit all over the place. And it's, it's a good time. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Seems like it's uh, resurrected your love for the game and <laughs> re- reanimated your desire to play it. That's a, a necro level dad joke there. Been... <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, I saw you playing it um, on the Blizzard app. Jesus. Uh, and I was tempted to jump in. And Are power... you saying there's an app for that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was tempted to power the you through, but I'm going, maybe it's your first time, you kind of want to sort of sort of uh, sort of clock up to seven on your own um you don't want to be with crispy first time <laughs> <laughs> oh i've heard that so many times hey, um, man, this guy's got fidget spinners in his ears okay? <laughs> <laughs> i almost oh man i almost bought one of those but anyway sorry chris um yeah I, I agree with you so um i'm one of those people that really really likes diablo 3 i hated it i didn't hate it i had major issues with it at release 
Um, but through the patching and the expansion, I think the game is better than Diablo 2. Yeah. Uh, it has a far more satisfying end game and a far more rewarding end game. And as the Necromancer will prove out, it has a lot more build viability in the late game. Um, yeah, the Necromancer is a bunch of fun. It's got it all is. my favourite skills. I mean, exploding corpses? Oh, it's so satisfying. Great, hey, that plus ripping the corpses to shreds and turning them into these big nail spike things that go sh- and shred all your opponents is a hell of a blast. And like you said about build viability, what they've done with the legendaries to start with, they were just nonsense and didn't really mean anything. But now you will build around a legendary capability. Like with my Crusader, um, I changed my build completely because of a special ability that my shield gives me. And it's completely changed the way that character feels. So yeah, I'm this, in love with this game. Yeah, the game's always going to get leveraged a lot of um, hate from... The old school D2 is just because of the way you live with your character and the way everything's are attached to um, your, your your core stats. Um, and I get it, but there's something about the fact that you can swap out a piece of armor and change your build. And you can argue about you know the truly late game builds being a little more limited. But I'm not a power gamer in the Diablo space, so I'm not one of these guys doing these insane rift levels. But when it comes down to like trying shit out and killing a bunch of monsters great and the necromancer does it so satisfyingly it's just it's it's a bit weird that you'll kill like a chicken and a human corpse will turn up but <laughs> you know you just you gloss past that because the necromancer's main skill is like taking corpses on the battlefield and turn them into weapons or whatever but almost anything you kill regardless of what it is turns into a, a a corpse icon yeah. so you'll kill the flies yeah, you know, you'll kill corpse. flies or the worms and you kind of get sort of ah, yeah, fair enough. You don't really care. I mean, you're just sitting there and you're killing shit. Um, uh, the fact that your pets are now what they call active passives, because I was, because obviously you've got the the witch doctor, which was the necromancer mm. sort of replacement for number three. But all the the pets, like they were in D two, are all passive. So you build them and they just kind of do their own thing. Now it's like you can get your skeletons and you can use your skill and target somebody and they'll basically just like gang bang it Diablo is a much they, different game yeah, that's 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 um, or, your, or your goal would be the same thing you can basically direct it to, to hack somebody and it, it's there's a lot more microing in the necromancer and it feels like a lot more engaging as a result I think maybe the difficulty level goes up when you're dealing with large groups of monsters and also because you just meat swords everywhere <laughs> it, it feels like I don't know if you've played much Heroes of the Storm but they've classified their characters into different skill levels and so some of them are, are quite simple they'll, they'll, you'll soak a lot of damage you've got some basic skills they're quite consumable but some of them the more powerful ones they've got a lot of sort of micro macro um, interplay and you need to really think about the situation that you're in and Necromancer feels like that it feels like you can absolutely get by if you need to but the skilled players are going to devastate those oh, yeah. greater rifts, right? They have, this, shred them. they have the same skill level thing with Overwatch, and I think it's actually a glimpse into why Blizzard are such champions at what they do, is that they understand design well enough to understand how different uh, how different mechanics are going to affect different level gamers. Like, yeah. that's amazing that they have the sort of insight into that kind of design to be able to be that specific with their implementation of different mechanics. Because that has to be the holy grail, right? Like, if you can get different levels and different skills of players playing at the same time and still having fun, that's where your audience is going to come from. That's where they're going to stay from. That's where you're going to sell them loot boxes to, right? Oh, mm. spent too much money. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, and all, for all the criticism that Blizzard and Diablo 3 in particular get, you've got to look at how successful it is. I mean, what the game came out how many years ago now? 
like at least five. Mm. Um, it still has a massive player base. You can always find groups to play with really, really simply, or really, really quickly. And it's a hell of a lot of fun to play. And they've put in a character that wasn't designed for the original game, and it slots in there perfectly, and it works. Obviously, they've had a year to build and balance it, but, I mean, just dropping a character in there, and it fits, and it feels right, and it's not OP, and it's not doesn't play weirdly with anything that's been pre-built is is really impressive to me and hmm. you know I mean Blizzard uh, yeah I mean when it comes down to it they're kind of like the kings at this they're, they're balancing is they almost step but they almost always nail it mm. yeah I read something recently about Overwatch and they were talking about how introducing new characters how difficult it is because new characters fundamentally change how the maps get played and mm-hmm. which characters can do what and just that them I mean it's stuff that you intuitively know but them just outlining everything that they had to go through to make sure a new character didn't mess with the balance or couldn't cheat this way or that way or could still be viable on every map and it was just like oh my god this is just like the world's biggest jigsaw puzzle how do you even start doing this you that know? game is so amazing I yeah. love it so much incredible so if you use modern agile and versus <laughs> like automation <laughs> <laughs> Um, Diablo to me whenever anyone's playing just looks like they're controlling an explosion and running it through a bunch of monsters I just have no <laughs> idea what's going on and don't watch just... someone play the necromancer then because that's way worse it's like it's, oh, it's real confusing even when you're playing it yeah yeah occasionally you'll, uh, you'll misclick something and it's like I can't do that again. but why yeah. <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> alright Chris um, speaking of going back to a game um, so I was late to the party well, apparently a party that not a lot of people went to and they uh, <laughs> picked up Titanfall 2 um, during the Steam sale obviously this game is actually on Steam and uh, wasn't really on sale um, <laughs> but I was sold on the idea of checking out the campaign because um, I was a bit iffy about it uh, initially and I've been playing it in 4k and it's amazing. I mean, visually, it's stunning, and it runs really well. I don't know what engine they're using, but it's... it's is it Frostbite? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, so the Frostbite engine is impressive as hell, but the story mode, it's... The fact that it builds up this bond between you and your Titan is really weird. It's kind of crazy. It's like, BT's my bro. I mean, <laughs> when shit happens to him, it's like, no, no, leave BT alone. <laughs> bad, bad man. I think... It reminded me of Half-Life in all the best ways, yeah. you know, it, the way it keeps uh, mechanics varied and it uh, is always tying in a really interesting story with all the new things that are happening and all the new things it's introducing to you. Mm. You just never know level to level what you're going to be doing and what's going to be happening and I think that's what Half-Life did and that's what makes the Titanfall 2 campaign so good. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm, I'm going to totally sort of like um, pimp this game right now. It's uh, I know a lot of people might be put, put off by it, but it's just another modern shooter with a giant robot twist but the story mode is actually it goes in places I really wasn't expecting mm-hmm. and it introduces it so seamlessly throughout you're kind of going because if you just look at it and you get someone to tell you the beats of the story you're going that sounds fucking ridiculous <laughs> but when you're playing it's like oh yeah okay yeah it's totally into it and the the transitioning from like the from the titan combat which feels I mean it's very I, I was expecting it to sort of feel kind of sterile, kind of you know, the sort of insulated from the action because of being what it was, but it's really in your face and it feels powerful. But the the movement when you're actually running around on foot, that shit is cool. I would play a game just like that, even without the Titans. Mm. Um, the, the the transitioning through the levels is great. All the level design is actually really well designed. Mm. The kind of arena 
like in many places and I think that really works to the game's benefit but mm. the writing is amazing the the story itself is surprisingly impressive and not future war that I was expecting at all yeah. and it's uh, very poignant in places and uh, yeah, I had feels yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it does that with great economy as well, you know? It, was, it wasn't very long before I was like, yeah, like you say, BT is my bro. And there's, there's not heaps of cutscenes and heaps of fuckery like that. It yeah. just rockets you through it. Mm. And, and I really love the world as well. You, you know, like you say, it's not complete total future pew-pew laser stuff. It's kind of, you've got these giant robots and spaceships and all that kind of stuff, but it's all very tied to, like, what seem like things that run on diesel and stuff mm-hmm. like that you know it's got that kind of yeah cool, yeah it's yeah. uh I, I, i'm not likening it too but it kind of felt like starship troopers but in a sort of a, a different interpretation yeah of it. yeah yeah no um yeah well and truly happy i bought it and i've not even touched the multiplayer yet but it's definitely earned the I money i spent think you trouble finding a match unfortunately <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's a shame I was, like, I was looking at the numbers for how well it sold when uh I was I was shot, and I'm wondering how much of that was just people not giving it a chance based off. It was EA sending it out to die. They uh, released it the week after Battlefield One. Yeah, mm. that's right. yeah. yeah, no, yeah, I'm wondering if there's some sort of politics behind that as well, because it just yeah. seems like EA of all companies is always going to want their product to sell. Come on, Vincent Pellet has never been a political guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's a shame that we're not going to see more of this franchise. I would say. I mean, mm, this yeah. is going out to it seems unlikely. Like I got the same sort of feels playing that game that I did playing uh, Prince of Persia in the Sands of Time, maybe ever, that I. Uh, felt like a video game god within minutes of picking up the controller for the first time like you're running along the walls and you're leaping in slow motion you're doing all this crazy shit that you simply can't do at all in other games and they made it super easy and Titanfall 2 is like that Mm. like you're just doing all this crazy cool stuff and it's continuously evolving the whole way through and it's got this wonderful narrative weave through I just absolutely love that game yeah so I'm certainly not like like a professional gamer in any way shape or form I mean I you put me in a multiplayer game and I'm the first guy to die but you're right. I mean, the, it makes you feel like you really know your shit really, really quickly. The fact that I was transitioning through these multiple layers seamlessly in like a couple of minutes, it just felt natural. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't a case of there's just no skill involved. It's just the fact that it's just perfectly designed. Mm-hmm. I can't have a feel that future war fatigue played a part in Titanfall's yeah, downfall as well. Yeah. You know, like Call of Duty <laughs> kind of ran the future war thing into the ground and then some and... Anyway, cool. Well, I'm going to talk about Sniper Elite 4, which is a game that I never thought I would ever play. <laughs> but uh, I read Ben Allen's review on Game Planet. Shout out to Ben. And he gave it a very positive review. And I just, I was kind of between games. And so I thought, fuck it, I'll try it out. So I grabbed it. And uh, surprisingly great game. Surprisingly great. <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I'm in at the fourth one. So they've had three other games to kind of iron out the kinks. But I kind of, I mean, it was always known to me as the game where you shoot guys in the nuts and you mm-hmm. get the cool x-ray show of it. And... That never stops being hilarious or really satisfying. <laughs> but even if you took that mechanic completely out, it's such a good sandbox game. Like, the stealth in it works really well, and the level's just massive. So you, it kind of, admittedly, to, to get the optimum play for me, I turned off a lot of the assists. Not because I'm awesome, but I found they made the game too easy. So it kind of gives you a mini-map, but then when guys are close to you, you can see them on the mini-map. So I just turned that shit off. Turned off a few of the shooting assists as well. And... Um, it made me feel like a complete badass sniper because I had to think, okay, I have to find high ground to get out my binoculars, my knocks, and just glass, glass on the horizon and <laughs> check dudes out. But it's real cool, you know? So you find the high ground and, uh, you know, sc- scope out all you guys. And then it does that video gamey thing where once you've tagged guys, they never 
disappear from your line of sight. You know, you can see them behind buildings and stuff. But even then, it's still it, then it becomes kind of this puzzle game of okay, you can see all the moving parts or at least everything you've tagged. Now, how do I get from there to there? It's it's very much a stealth game. If you get rumbled, it's generally game over. Um, how can I get there and knife that guy? Because if I shoot, the you know the sound from my gun will rouse this guy, or this tank will come over here and stuff. And so that part of the game I've absolutely nailed. I can't recommend it enough. But then the levels are beautiful to look at, which is shocking for a game with a draw distance like this one. I was playing it on PS4, and you know you can zoom crazy amounts with a sniper rifle and shoot guys across the map, and yet they're there you know any other game you know populates enemies 20 feet in front of you sort of thing whereas here everyone's there everyone's moving around the enemy barks are really hilarious you can constantly hear them talking about you or talking about having a bad feeling you know and then of course right before you shoot them in the face um and it's just so much fun um i'm shocked at how much i liked this game uh you can get a bunch of different weapons you can shoot dudes with a bazooka you can go full noise later when you know you're doing you can lay traps you can like shoot a guy and then uh, stick a mine on him so when his buddies come over they'll trigger that you can put trip wires up and oh yeah great and very varied levels as well like um i think chris came around one day and i was playing a, a level in a dockyards and but there's also it's in italy so there's a lot of beautiful countryside a lot of awesome looking older buildings um heaps of opportunities to interact with the environment like there's the other very gamey thing where you can uh there's these little uh, power generators and you, you can kick them and then they'll start to misfire and then you can shoot your gun in time with the misfires and it will cover the sound. So once you find one of these things, it's kind of like a safe point and then you can use that just to waste dudes. But if you mistime one of your shots, then everyone just pounces on you, you know? And, ah, oh, it's just so good. So, you know, you're going from improbable power generated to improbable power generated that kind of like your little your bonfire your dark souls bonfires you know and you're like how do i get to that next one way across the map and uh or stuff like planes fly overhead and you have to time it for when the noise from the plane is there for you to shoot a guy and and then someone will notice that corpse so you have to shoot them and then it just becomes a comedy of errors you know you end up with 50 corpses piled up on top of each other and Oh, it's so good. It just scratches every itch I have for that sandbox game, which is silly emergent gameplay, gonad shots, and dumb guns, and well, awesome stealth. So All I got from you was you were checking out guys, tagging them, and blowing their nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask one question. Is it true in this game that Hitler actually has one testicle? Yeah, it is. Is it? It actually is, yeah. And But this one you don't get to kill Hitler. I think you've killed him in every other one, maybe. As DLC. Yeah, probably. So so the, no, it's true. In 1, 2, and 3, that's never in the core game. They release it as DLC afterwards. Really? Well, I'm buying the shit out of the DLC. If Rebellion are listening, release that, because I will buy it. <laughs> Who doesn't want to shoot Hitler in his singular testicle? Yeah. <laughs> and it got to the point, like, I don't know what you guys are like with any game with stealth mechanics, but I always go hard stealth. Like... I'm talking here, if I just get even slightly noticed, or if some guy goes, what was that? Then I'm like, reload, sort of thing. I just want to ghost everyone and just leave a trail of bodies behind me. So when I get to, like, my commander at the other end of the game, he's just like, what happened? And I'm like, or, or no, I want to leave one alive, and I want him to go to the German German command and be like, it was one man. We never saw him coming. <laughs> There's thousands of us dead. And actually... Um, Another great thing the game does is it keeps track of every stat imaginable. Like, have, you've obviously played previous ones, have you? Guys? Yeah, I reviewed three a couple of years ago. Oh, was it you that reviewed three? I thought it was... I, I think I played I think two I on PC. Right. I don't know how janky things were there, but anyway, now it, it just keeps track of everything, you know, like, down to how long you've held your breath for, down your sniper, sniper scope or whatever, probably. How many um, nuts popped. Yeah, oh, totally. All that stuff, how many kidneys shot, all that kind of stuff. So satisfying. 
Anyway, that's my little rant about Sniper Elite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for letting me get that off my chest, guys. <laughs> I, see, I find that game interesting because it seems to me like the very first game, and maybe the second one as well, which I played, was pretty much built around a gimmick, and that was the X-ray vision when you shot people. Yeah. Because number two was a shitty game with really cool shooting mechanics. It was more of a case of, we can X-ray people when you shoot them, and we've got bullet trajectory, and that was it. Mm. And it kind of worked. Mm. And it was not fun to play after a while, but it sounds like they've definitely gotten past that they've, they've built a decent game around that really stupid gimmick which is and I say it's stupid but I never turned it off you can turn it off and you can even skip it and I'd skip it if I was in a really tense situation and just want to swing my rifle to the next guy but generally I'd watch the whole thing because you know the bullet will bounce off a rib and exit out a different way or something like that and every time I'm just like yes it's pretty horrifying when you actually think about what's happening oh it's totally horrifying but every time I'd just be like fucking Nazi and no, no fucking you never Nazi. feel bad killing Nazis yeah you alt-right guys listening? No, yeah. sorry. Ooh, <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway. Baz, round two, brother. So, um, I finally finished Persona 5 this week wow. at 108 hours. Oh, oh my god. Oh, yeah, that's a high five. Oh, it, my god. It took a really long time. And, you know, I, I fucking love that game. I love the whole series. And I think it deserves all of the acclaim it got. But people don't really talk about how difficult that third act is because you... I don't want to spoil anything, but you sort of reach a point where you have achieved the goal of the game, and you're really quite kind of happy with your combat trajectory, and then it makes you grind to do a final boss that you didn't really know about, mm. and at that point, I was kind of like, I don't want to anymore, can you just sort of let me conclude the story I feel like I've already concluded? You know when games kind of do that sometimes? You think mm. you're at the end, and then it's like, like actually, there's another 10, 15 hours left. Like, bravely oh. default for example yeah and like it was still good but I was kind of frustrated by the end I was like oh, I've, I've, had it, I've had it it's 108 hours I've had enough <laughs> um, I, you know I still love the story and all that but anyway because I'd played this huge RPG I really just felt like playing something dumb and baseline and so um, the Call of Duty Infinite Warfare was in the PSN sale for like 50 bucks Damn. I know you don't normally see those games that discounted the year after mm. so it's like fuck it I'm gonna play something dumb and so I, I got it and I've been playing the campaign this week I really enjoyed it I'm enjoying it I'm like halfway through it I reckon there's like a lot to appreciate in that campaign surprisingly no kidding I know <laughs> I was just looking to shoot some shit but it does some really cool stuff which I quite like in that uh, it makes you captain of the ship and then there's kind of like a quest structure where you sort of decide what missions you're doing in between the main missions. Mm. And I mean, you can do all of them. You sweep the map anyway. Yep. But, you know, it sort of gives you an agency those games normally don't have. Um, it's still dumb, but it's just really nice to be playing something, you know, sort of a little simpler, a little... How, how, does, how does Jon Snow... Go. Oh, why did they cast him? I do not understand. <laughs> like, it's not even that his performance is bad. It's just the fact that he looks 12 in it, which really fucks me off because he's the commander of an entire planet's military. It's like, how? In what, in what, in what universe did this child <laughs> become the commander? Who knows he's, nothing. Maybe he's got a good kill-death yeah. ratio or something. Uh, yeah, he does have some pretty sinister moments, but still, it really annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> it really breaks my immersion. Does it do anything different, like, vehicle level-wise or any of that stuff? Flying not, around in not, spaceships? Yeah, uh, there is spaceship combat, which is quite interesting because it's not like... So sometimes halfway through a shooty level you'll be in your spaceship, but then there's like entire space skirmish 
levels as well. It's really well done. Mm. Um, the other thing that I really like is that there's quite a few battles which happen outside of spaceships in the Gulf of Space, like between debris or between asteroids, and you use a grapple feature to like pull yourself either into enemies or like behind cover and it's, it's quite cool sweet yeah it's fun anyway it's just all I have to so, say about it so I've completely sort of that, that franchise is something that I just don't even pay attention to now but I was under the impression that that this particular entry was not good no, I, I, was... I don't know if that is actually what the conversation was no, I, I didn't go back and look I think the reviews were quite good I think what the actual conversation was was fatigue from the players, mm. not fatigue from the reviewers, because it got reviewed quite well. Yeah, from to- what I remember, Toby Berger reviewed it for us, and he loved it. Yeah, he, admittedly, he's a bit of a Call of Duty nut, which is kind of where I was a few years ago. Yeah, mm. till I matured out of that. <laughs> no, no, um, not I play real games now. Yeah. Um, More about like Connect Fours. Yeah, but uh, no, no I, I think it reviewed really well. It's yeah. like shockingly well given the reception. You know, it was the whole Battlefield One versus mm. another futuristic Call of Duty, and but uh, no, I, th- I think it did okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been enjoying the campaign as much as I enjoyed uh, Battlefield One, but that said. I didn't feel I didn't feel like a dumb person playing Battlefield One in the same way that playing a cop yeah. campaign makes me feel. <laughs> but it, you know, it's like watching a shitty Western action movie. You know, sometimes it's a palate cleanser. It like mm. is so easy and you know just sort of a release of some sort. You don't feel sort of yeah. bogged down so, by. So it. I've, I've only got one question for you because my only real criticism of the COD games was the lack of agency you had in the single player campaign. It was very on the rails and felt like you were just sort of ticking a, you're ticking a few boxes to get to the next to the next objective whatever it is does it still do that or is it kind of does it hide it better at least it definitely hides it better because you're in control of the ship and the things you're doing which is real dumb because you're the captain of a ship and you're still boots on the ground oh my god I just said boots on the ground <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's dumb because it just would not happen he's like they're like captain stay on the ship he's like this captain doesn't it's like <laughs> well actually you get caught martial pretty fucking quickly <laughs> but um yeah I mean yeah there's some agency involved mm. not a lot but it's better than nothing as a palette as a palette cleanser uh, I think Call of Duty is a fine franchise. And and I think there's actually very few entries that are outright terrible, as long as you don't play a bunch of them in a row yeah. and just make yourself thoroughly sick of Call of Duty. Totally. Yeah, I think so. I, I really enjoy the single player. That's what I play Call of Duty for. I actually did buy this game from Dick Smith. Did anyone remember that place? <laughs> used to be a place called Dick Smith. Anyway, so I bought it from there. I bought it on release day, and I never played it. Why so, did you buy a release game at Dick Smith Electronics? Uh, well, that's a good question I can't answer really um, I probably just happened to be there at the time did you yeah. just happen to be in there and you're like I fuck it I think I got like a $20 voucher from doing a survey or something and it was like well what do I buy I, I well, to buy be fair though I mean how many release day games do you own that you've never actually played many hundreds yeah uh, I have a lot of sealed <laughs> games so and the other thing is Infinite Warfare it's still going to be going whenever you Absolutely. put it in, you so know? Know? So what is your address again there Alan yeah anyway that's enough about that game yeah yeah bloody good Right, so from one fun, awesome game to one game, uh, <laughs> I've been playing quite a bit, way too much, far more than I'd like, in fact I quit, uh, of Reservoir Dogs, which sounded like such an awesome idea. I mean, Reservoir Dogs was a great, if incredibly disturbing, Quentin Tarantino masterpiece. How could a game that shares its name be anything other than at least decent? (laughs) That seems to be a challenge that the developers took on with great gusto and were very incredibly successful at succeedingly uh, at passing. So it's 
it's rubbish, unfortunately. It's um, it's a top-down game um, where you take direct control of a Mr. Green or a Mr. Blue or Black or something, which, by the way, is literally the only relationship that it has to the game, to the movie, rather, um, is that the characters are named after colours. That's it. There's there's nothing else about this. There's no, no cutie ear-cutting scene? <laughs> there's nothing like that. There's no likenesses. There's no music. There's none of that stuff that was good about the film. No, no, no arguing about uh, tipping or not? None of it. Well, I mean, there's a couple of like slight nods to there maybe have been some character suggestions in there somewhere, but it's just a name and a logo, which is quite unfortunate. Anyway, so the idea is you play this game top down, and you when you start off, they introduce the mechanics to you quite simply. You control it, you, you move your guy around, you shoot people, everything's quite simple, basic graphics, etc. Then they start introducing this idea of you having a second character in play, and the way that works is you control the first one until you hit spacebar, at which point everything rewinds back to where it was, and now you control the second one, while the first one replays the actions that you effectively recorded on your first playthrough. Sounds like a cool idea. The way it actually works in principle is your first guy runs out there, attracts the attention of the bad guys, who shoot at him, and they do some. he does some stuff and he survives, and you go, cool, so you take control of the second guy, and your first guy runs around the corner and does exactly what you told him to the first time, but now he dies. Huh? It's like, what? Why is he dead? And the only thing I can figure out is that the, the game engine isn't deterministic. So it doesn't actually replay exactly the way it did the first time. And, or, you even just by moving your guy a single frame to the left, which I experimented with, you change the variables in place enough that things don't play out the way you want them to. So yeah. what you end up doing is sending your first guy out there, killing a bunch of dudes, and then sending the second guy basically straight after him, shooting at the same dude, <laughs> just to make sure that everyone survives. Oh my god. And then on top of that, they, because it's effectively a strategy shooter, like a real-time strategy XCOM kind of thing, um, they, for some reason, decide to put time pressure on with all these like time-based challenges where you've got to get to the end before the guy escapes the ship or something, and the time's really tight. So you're constantly feeling under pressure. Your guys are dying through things you don't feel you have full control over. And it's just the most frustrating head, you know, screen headbutting experience I've had in gaming in a long time. That's crazy. Like, I'm deeply, passionately upset about it how kind bad of this game is. It sounds like the issues that I have with Fire Emblem. I, I never really feel like I can implement a good strategy with that because it doesn't follow the same rules on each game i'll think oh if i put this person here they'll go after them and then they don't for some reason and it yeah. sounds like it's the same issue you're having with yeah it is kind of similar i know what you mean like you can't sometimes in fire emblem you can't draw the bad guys out into a position which will be advantageous to you mm. this is definitely kind of like that and you can't you have to you feel like you have to just play with it and see what happens rather than explore actual strategic approaches like you do in XCOM. So when you're playing something like XCOM, which is brilliant about, okay, I've got to make sure I've got a guy at Overwatch, and I've got to make sure I'm laying down some pressing fire, you're thinking about things that matter. Here it's just more like, what? Why did he die? This doesn't even make sense. You can't figure it Actually, out. Actually, that's me with know. XCOM. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. did, did you ever play... Like, how did that miss? <laughs> did you ever play Super Time Force? Oh, no. The game was great. That was a game that was a side-scroller and you had different characters with different abilities, and you'd run as far through the level as you could with one. And then, if I remember correctly, did you bring another one in, or did you transform into a different one? Or you, Anyway, you ended up in a similar thing where both characters were running through the level doing s similar stuff, and you could... Oh, no, that's it. If you died with one character, you could rewind time slightly, bring in another person, and oh, kill the person. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And But it worked really well. And turned it into this really elaborate real-time puzzle. And because I'm rubbish at puzzles, I gave, <laughs> I gave up on that shit real quick. 
But um, fun game though. But yeah. it sounds like they just totally fucked it. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe it's a parable about how time travel has a cost, and that cost is that. <laughs> it could be. Different. So the other thing that's worth noting though is that my voice does appear to be the lone one. So it could just be that I'm stupid. But I had a look on like Steam reviews and stuff, and it's generally well regarded. It's so got like sevens and stuff. You can't, you can't the, trust Steam reviews. Yeah, when was the game actually released? I mean, this Pretty recently. A uh, couple of months, I think. Oh, okay. Because it's weird that I, as a Tarantino fan, this is basically news to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love time mechanics. I, I've not played these other games, but Braid. Oh, yeah. Of really course. nice. Oh, I hated that game. Aha, maybe we have found the crux of the problem. Oh, it's just such a wank fest. It's like, I'm an intellectual. Look at this. I'm just going to masturbate on the screen. Wonderful. <laughs> Look at my jizz. <laughs> I hated it. It was so pretentious. My jizz are really pretty. Um, <laughs> Did you play Transistor? No. Oh. I picked it up in the Steam sale, though. That is one game I did pick mm. up in the Steam sale. Mm. Because that was game. one which I was missing. I've got Bastion, but... Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, what was the follow-up to Braid? The Witness? Oh, well, yeah, of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Basically, the reason I didn't, I paid no attention to it whatsoever is because of Braid. It's like, no, nah, that guy's a blowhard. See what I did there? Really clever. <laughs> um, and I just, I just loathed it so much. It was such bullshit. At least in Braid, your actions were consistent from play yes, to play. Yes, that's true. That is completely fair. Mm. Um, oh, well. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Avoid. Yeah, pretty much. Sad but true. And again, it is just my opinion. Chris, give us your opinion. Um, okay, so uh, sort of going back to uh, previous conversations, um, sort of retro gaming or the, the resurgence of nostalgia gaming and... I had that reputation from many years ago of being a bit of a video game hipster, um, being stuck in the 90s and wanting all of my, my pixels to be large. And uh, So I guess the, the first topic is really the the SNES Mini. Mm, SNES? We need to talk about that, I think, first. <laughs> <laughs> SNES, really? Well, you know. Um, Clearly it's SNES. SNES. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> or Super Nintendo. Or SNES. Yeah. So I'm totally not a Nintendo guy, um, but very interested to see how well this second mini console actually does and a number of interesting titles that even a non-Nintendo guy like me is really interested in. But the thing that I'm most... I want to talk about actually goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about Crash, and mm. that is Star Fox 1 and 2 are on this mini console. Mm. Now, I have played both of these um, Star Fox games. You can't have. Star Fox 2 has never been. Oh, sorry. Well, no, I have. Well, I have. There is versions online. I have apparently. played Star Fox 2. They're not finished, though. Yeah, it's true. But. Um, but Star Fox 1 and the one that was released on the Nintendo 64. Star Fox 64. Or Lila Wars in New Zealand. Yeah, so I'm very interested to see what the reception to Star Fox 1, or in particular Star Fox 2, is going to be because those games run at like 11 to 15 frames a second. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh, and we're living in the world of 60 frames a second is a bare minimum, and I'm one of those guys. Uh, and I remember playing... Star Fox 64 and being pissed off at how unresponsive it was and that game was well advanced over the, the previous title and the unreleased one and I'm watching footage of this and people are getting really excited by it I'm going y'all ain't gonna be so happy <laughs> because I think Star Fox used the, with the, the FX chip mm -hmm. um, and that, it was that's why those games have never been re-released up until now is because 
the FX chip itself had technology that was licensed by an organization that doesn't exist anymore. So Nintendo were in licensing limbo, and they're like, what do we do? How can we get this thing back out there? That's why that chip's never been um, made available for games on uh, virtual console, etc., etc. So this is the first maybe, time they've been... Sorry, was it an organization that maybe came back from the future to introduce that technology and then just dispersed to the crowd. I think it is pretty clearly that. But ladies and gentlemen, this will be the last podcast with Matt in it. Um, maybe no. aliens more than you think. Anyway, sorry. So, 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 so the, the, theory, so the question I have is, are they going to be emulating, because it's going to be an emulator, obviously, mm-hmm. um, are they going to be emulating the experience of the original game, or are they going to tweak it slightly? Can they tweak it so it actually runs at a frame rate that people will want to play? God, I hope I meet someone that insists it has to run at 11 frames a second. Oh, you will. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. In the same way that you guys were defending people, like saying, this is how it was with Crash Bandicoot. Like, it's unacceptable to release something. I don't think anyone was defending. I was thinking people who were kind of like playing devil's advocate, or at least I was. Yeah. I know, but all I'm mm. what my argument is, is that you can't charge us money if you're not going to meet some modern standards. Well, the thing is, this game isn't trying to do that, though. It's by saying, these are these games on a console, which is essentially a miniature version of the exact same thing you had 20 years ago. Mm. We are providing that same experience. You can just now plug it into your current TV. So I am curious, because the previous games that were on the, on the, the first mini mm. didn't require them to run at a higher frame rate. They were all games that ran the, they were all, all the time was based off what the frame rate was and they Correct. worked perfectly um, and this one isn't and I know I'm going to get hate for this but Star Fox is a fucking terrible game <laughs> just because the engine was far in advance of what the technology allowed for I think it was one of those aspirational titles going look at what we can do mm-hmm. but perhaps they shouldn't have mm-hmm. they should have gone different it would have been a better game but it was sprite based potentially yeah. Uh, and now you've got this game coming out and I'm seeing so many articles of people excited about finally playing the official, the real Star Fox 2 and I'm concerned at what the feedback's going to be when people buy this instantly priced gouge product when it gets released for a couple of games one of those games is going to be a bad experience so I guess the real question is what you just alluded to right? Is anyone in this room actually going to be lucky enough to get a chance to play it? Yeah, that's true. Mm. Well, uh, interestingly, um, the original Mini, you can still buy it in retail stores in Wellington like uh, three or four weeks ago. New Mm. Zealand's a bit different in that way. Like, we've had quite a few instances where people have been fighting. Like, with the Switch, people are still having trouble finding those in stores. You could walk into any store in New Zealand and pick one up, I reckon. Yeah, Yeah. you still can. They're still on store shelves. Yeah, so, like, we're, we're quite lucky in the fact that uh, we get good shipment numbers for a lot of things and our consumer numbers might be a bit smaller. Yeah. So I think we had a similar thing with Amiibo even. I think there might have been a recent restock of the NES because I know the NES did go out of sale here because I remember people were trying real hard to get it and on Trade Me Now they still sell for 280 bucks, which is double the price. That yeah, that's interesting. Retail. It was more of a case of that um, we've got the point now where a, a certain retailer has such a massive market share and visibility that people only look there yeah if you go to other retailers obviously we're not sponsored by anyone so i won't use any names here but i know for a fact that a certain wellington retailer never ran out of stock until uh the final announcement that the production had ceased right and that's when there was a sudden demand for it okay because people i think i'm not sure how big the nintendo market is in new zealand i know there's obviously there's devotees but 
I mean, I think Nintendo was a little more niche here. Mm. Yeah, was. I don't know. I mean, I've obviously got a Nintendo-shaped echo chamber that mm. I talk in. Mm. Um, but uh, I know that having gone to one of those retailers recently, they said that they already had 47 pre-orders at just this branch for the Whoa. Super Nintendo Mini. Yeah. So yeah. I know it's going to be a pretty big yeah, deal. I, I do feel this one's going to be a lot bigger just based off the reception of the first one, which was kind of sort of took a lot of people by surprise. Plus, let's face it, the games are a lot better. Well, like, you I mean, look at Yoshi's that list of Island. games. Like, any one of them. Mario RPG, for crying out loud. That game is unbelievably good. <laughs> Who's going to get one? Anyone here? I've, um, I've I'm, got one pre-ordered. I'm, I haven't got one pre-ordered. I've been sort of playing with it because I'm of the opinion that that maybe is money I should really spend on a Switch. Well, I mean, like if those <laughs> games don't get released in a similar period on the Switch, I'm going to have a fucking coup because how is it that you tethered to this little plastic box with a five foot cord and they're not going to release it on their new handheld like those 21 games if they were like we're going to charge you $80 American so like 160 oh fuck that's a lot of money <laughs> I'll take what is Nintendo <laughs> Wait, how much did they say that it's the one, SNES it's 140 here which okay. is actually cheaper than the yeah. last one because it includes uh, an extra controller in the box yeah. Yeah. I think but the cord is only half the length no, it's, no, it's not. Five it's, it's longer. <laughs> anyway, um, if they said $140 you can have all these games in a virtual console on your Switch, I'd pay it for it because that's... I want to play the games, I just don't want to play it in their stupid gimmicky fashion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I want to play it on my other gimmicky device. <laughs> not gimmicky. That's fucking flawless. <laughs> How dare you. Um, um, I've got bad news for you. Like, uh, with my... I bought the original version of the 3DS. Well, actually, Nintendo gave me one, but they think I bought it. Anyway, uh, so I was what be, was called an ambassador oh, for the yeah. 3DS, which means that they gave me 20 games when they reduced the price a very short time after launch. And more than half of those games have never actually been released for sale, or at least hadn't last time I checked. Whoa. So it seems highly likely, or entirely reasonable in Nintendo's world, that those games will probably never be released anywhere else. Oh, there's no way they're not going to put Mario World on the it's, Switch. It's, it's way easier. Well, they'll do some of them, but it's way easier to say to someone like um, Square Enix or something, we want to have a license to buy 2 million copies of this electronic version of Mario RPG that we co-developed at cents on the dollar and release it in this box, rather than say we want to make it available universally forever via this other electronic purchase whenever you like mechanism. I just get so sick of these people... T- like not taking my money that sounds strange but what I mean <laughs> is that like good at that. in so many ways in the modern world it's easier to pirate something than it is to give someone money to play it <laughs> and like Nintendo does that with the stupid virtual console stuff it's like mm. if you just fucking made it easy to pay for your games I would pay for them but because it's not I'll play them anyway. I I, I'm like not saying now I'll play them, but I can and I will. Baz, have, have you met Nintendo before? <laughs> it's just, it's annoying. It's the same with TV and movies and all these things. It's like, Spotify has proved that if you just streamline the experience of listening to music, people will pay for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you take the licensing out of the equation, you're right. But I'm not sure how Nintendo, how those games are segmented based off their... I don't know either. Um, I'm making shit up. Mm. But I mean, I, I agree with Bass completely. Mm. These games should all be on the virtual console, and it seems brainless that they're not. It seems quite interesting that their announcement around the virtual console there was nothing, and it's obviously because they want to um, sort of promote the the new micro console, which probably wasn't part of their their initial strategy until the first one came out, and it went fucking bananas. People bought, mm. I mean, what one point five million of these things? It was a lot. Yeah, they sold ten more per one than they actually made so yeah they, there's a lot of people lining up out there to buy the damn things well <laughs> alright 
Well, we're kind of running short on time, but I'm going to talk about State of Decay. Ooh. So good. Oh, it's pretty good. Oh, <laughs> no. No, it's, it is so good. You're the Chris of this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have really enjoyed it. I, I think I mentioned last time I might have bought it. Anyway, I bought it because 2 was coming out and I'd never played 1. So I'm playing the Year 1 edition on Xbox One. Uh, year 1 Survival Edition or whatever that collects all the DLC and it's up to 1080p and theoretically runs better. But God, this game must have been a dog on the Xbox 360. <laughs> Holy it was shit. a bit. Yeah. There definitely were some of those issues. Oh man, because even on Xbox One it's a little bit clunky. Not, not really frame rate problems or anything, but you can tell... It's, it's of that Xbox 360 live arcade era where everything's just a little bit... Janky. Yeah, janky is the word, yeah. Um, but still enjoying it. Like, it does so... There's so many cool mechanics in that game. Like, it has... Uh, for those that haven't played, it's just a zombie apocalypse game, except for you can make a base. Uh, it's got permadeath, so if you die, you just take over from another survivor in your colony. And I'm, sh- I'm assuming if everyone in your colony dies, it's game over, or maybe mm. new survivors arrive. I don't know. But every survivor quite hard to do. Yeah, every survivor has different stats. Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think you could you could kill everyone if you didn't know what you're doing. And this game is useless at, at explaining itself to you. That is true. The first half dozen hours, I was like, what am I supposed to be doing here? How do I build things? Where do I get these materials? But it's so cool because it's got, you know, a stamina meter like a lot of games. But the longer you stay out of your base with one character, the less your maximum stamina can be. So your stamina bar is slowly draining as you're getting more and more tired. And you really need that shit because when it runs out, you can't defend yourself and you get overwhelmed by zombies. Uh, you know, it's got weapon degradation. Uh, I love the whole thing where you just drive around in a car, but the car makes noise. Mm-hmm. And so that attracts zombies. You can, you can search, and searching is quite slow, but if you push a button to speed up your searching, it makes noise, and that attracts zombies. If you're not sneaking, that attracts zombies. I mean, it's all a bit janky, as you it, said. It's the searching and base building which really got me. Like, mm. I played that game to its completion on 360 and Xbox One, and each time I do it, every time you completely search a house, it has, like, a, a little black X over it on the map. Mm. And each time I've done it, I've completely, like, the whole map is just Xs. <laughs> yeah. But with... Which is quite frustrating. I love that aspect of it, but then at a point, you've upgraded your base as much as you can. Mm. And so I'm looking forward to two, because they've kind of said that there won't sort of be that point at which, you know, you've reached the upper limit of what's possible, Mm. because it'll just keep being able to be being built. Yeah, the, the base upgrade is really cool. Like, there's a number of slots that you can kind of put things in. And for a start, you've got, I think, an infirmary, maybe some storage. There's a sniper nest by your gate you can upgrade there's like a car park where you can park your car and it gets repaired over time and you can put more into that a workshop um what else the kitchen stuff like that and depending on what you upgrade depends on the stats of your survivors or how quickly they recover overnight there's a day night cycle so you know cars get repaired overnight and stuff and it all just links really well together and it's kind of got so many of these cool systems that i'm like why hasn't another game done this Mm. and i think i guess that's why this game sold squillions i mean i'm so late to the party on this it's not funny (laughs) but um it's it's just a game where the only thing i remember about it at the time was it got banned in australia for a while because you took drugs to beef yourself up why did you get banned in australia though yeah especially in that period yeah yeah absolutely i'm surprised um, i'm loud in there yeah (laughs) I've taken drugs before (laughs) scandalous me too aspirin only Um, but yeah just a lot of fun I I kind of I got a bit frustrated recently because the special zombies aren't that much fun to fight because it's so janky like there's guys that dash at you they run kind of like wolves which is kind of cool but they're really fast they can run as fast as your cars almost 
And so you just you do the old sidestep them and then shoot them in the face or whatever. They're awesome though. They rip you out of the cars, which yeah, is really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. But um, it's just a bit. The controls are kind of defeating me. I lost two of my really high spec survivors to one of these dicks. One of the fast ones. Oh, uh, one of the fast ones and one of the real big fat. Dudes. It's the big fat dudes that always got me because. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the only way to kill them essentially is to run cars into them. Is that how you do it? Because I, I shot a guy with so many clips of ammo. It's a waste of ammo. But yeah. like, even then, you get yourself into difficult positions. I don't. I think I've only lost survivors to those big fat ones. That's actually another great mechanic. I love about the game is you have a safe locker at your house but the currency to get things out of the locker is your influence within your colony and so you have to go out and do shit to earn the right to take ammo or whatever I love that that's so good and it makes sense within the world and oh it's It's really cool yeah I think there's another couple of mechanics I'm forgetting but either way it's it's cool oh you've got a radio and you can radio out to for example you need a certain material to build up your base you can radio out and be like who's got this material and Mm -hmm. then it shows up on your map and yeah, I mean, incredible game. Can't wait for number two now. Oh, I cannot wait. We can play it together. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, so but, yeah, exactly, because, I mean, it's a shame it doesn't have local co-op, but... um, It definitely feels like a game that should, and yeah. they heard that a lot, and that's why this game... They actually, after State of Decay 1, had two projects on the go. They had State of Decay 2, and then they had an MMORPG they oh. were building in the State of Decay franchise, and they decided know with the MMORPG and just mm. incorporated really good co-op into which I think was a smart idea into I don't two. think that that would be very fun as an MMORPG but as a co-op experience it'd be dope yeah totally four player online um, yeah there's four of us do you know if there's cross player I don't no actually. it's an Xbox uh, well yeah Xbox play anywhere right yeah mm-hmm. it is a play anywhere title so you'll yeah, be able to play on PC, right. PC. Yeah, yeah. I can play not, too not hey. PC I like being included <laughs> Nice, so yeah, I mean, another goddamn zombie game, but one that brought enough new stuff to the table that I was like, fuck yeah, despite all the jank, a lot of fun, mm. really enjoyed it. Have we got time for another round, or have we got... I think we can we can always cut it out if there's too much really, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's, let's do a quick fire round. Baz, have you got anything left? Uh, I did, What I really wanted to ask real quick is how you guys are going to feel the sort of lull that we have until sort of August, September now with game releases. Do you have... Do you go back, or do you still have things in the... Oh, honey, my backlog is insane. <laughs> I know, but, like, <laughs> you have no idea. You know, have you seen my backlog? <laughs> you, st- you still sort of have to time it, because you don't want to bog yourself down with things that when the new releases start coming out, you can't stay up to date. So this is the time where you sort of have to be strategic about what games are worth diving into, like, how big experiences you're going to do. Mm. I've, I've actually found the game worth diving into is the first one that you think, oh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise I just st- I mean I've got a spreadsheet of all my games with their release dates, how many players can play, when I want to play them. I don't think Excel supports the number of rows I'd need. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. Mine was slightly manageable, but it's amazing how quickly you can get through that stuff, especially when you're playing games that came out ages ago. And sometimes some of them I play ten minutes of and go no. Yeah, I see what this is about and I don't want to do it or I've played a game that's better than this in the interim or this game's too janky or more likely this game doesn't run on my computer I have a question based on that as well because it's a maybe the position that we're in is is fairly unique and not uh, something that can be shared with general gamers because they have to buy every game Mm. but up until relatively recently I always felt like I was betraying a game by not giving it enough time Mm. like I've got games in there that I've installed and I've played for maybe 10 minutes and as you said it's like going this hasn't got me so I've just not gone back to it and I've up until recently I've gone okay that's in my backlog I'll go back and revisit it and I've now sort of 
next to all of that. Is that where you guys have as well? Yeah, I think that's pretty smart. I think it's the same with books, where they say that if you're like 50 pages into a book and not enjoying it, you're supposed to throw it across the room. Yeah. Ooh. Have you guys heard about this? Oh, yeah. It yeah. actually works really well. It seems very it violent. It doesn't work really well when you're using a Kindle or an iPad. <laughs> or better. But, but there's this idea that you're supposed to banish it from your brain space. Yeah. It hasn't really earned its place there. And I think games are similar, you know. Unless you've heard, you need to get through so much. Because that happens a lot, unfortunately. People are like, once you get past the two-hour mark, you totally get it. Mm. If I haven't heard that about something, if it hasn't grabbed me within the first half an hour, hour, yeah. two hours, mm. I'll um, just drop it like it's Yeah, for me, so I, I will be uh, picking up, or finally getting around to playing uh, a game we discussed earlier, um, not on uh, the microphone, though, is uh, Torment Tides of Numenera. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I have some issues with the production and how... The backer side of things was handled, but the game itself and my, what I played looks really cool. And yeah. it finally added in the stuff that I really wanted to play. So, I mean, there's, what, 50 hours? Yeah. Mm. Well, you've got to be tactical about that as well, don't you? Like, I really want to get things like The Vanishing of Ethan Carter and those smaller experiences done because they're great and they're sort of easy to knock out one after another. And I've just finished this 100-hour experience. I kind of have a backlog of smaller experiences to go through now. Although I sort of I have Horizon Zero Dawn on that oh, list as well. I was going to say that's top of my list. I it's think. it's definitely top of my list, but it's also like a 40, 50 hour experience, right? right. Yeah. So I'm and kind of and also with the DLC, as well. DLC is coming out in like I want to say August or September, so mm. it's it's about to get bigger as well. Yeah, yeah. Going back to back, that one in Zelda, Zelda would yeah. probably be open world overkill maybe Zelda yeah. is the one you just have to play that's the way that's actually the reason I haven't played Horizon is because I knew that Zelda was just about to hit and I knew I was going to get it I knew I was going to get a Switch and sure enough that's what we did we yeah. Switch we played through we've played 160 something hours of Zelda damn um, we've got the expansion pass all locked in who's we? Uh, my wife oh, right. yeah, we, we <laughs> my wife my wife you just played a, a, a Joy-Con age no, so, I don't know, I just, if I get bored of something, or if I hit something I can't be bothered with, she just gets in there and grits her teeth and gets it done. <laughs> so, that's good, we've got a, a good So she's a confident gamer, it's like, I'm stuck, honey. I'll, I'll take over, dear. She's the same with, um, I remember Super Mario Galaxy, I think it was, on the um, Wii. She played through that all, and at the end of it you unlock Luigi. She then played through all of that, which lets you unlock the, the castle world from the beginning of the game that you can't normally play mm-hmm. so she played through that with both Luigi and Mario and when you do that you get a little email in the Wii um, system from the developers with a photo of the developers thanking them for playing the game it's like holy shit that's cool so why isn't awesome. she part of the podcast yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you <laughs> I just buy games she plays them yeah um, yeah I've, I've got backlog stuff to do obviously I've got a lot more ruthless with my backlog now just one by one what's the top of our list mine's Horizon Horizon. Actually, yeah, mine is as well. Mine's Torment. Um, maybe just to be different, I'll say Prey. Oh, Prey yeah. Prey's pretty through. up there for me as well. Um, that looks like fun. Yeah, yeah. Prey, Prey's a lot of fun. I, I, it's We're in a weird position now. It's like um, well, most of us, three of us are, are elderly, decrepit old gents and little yeah, youngsters. Like but do you remember... <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when the, we used to wait months for a good game and you'd play the shit out of the game you had yeah. and it wasn't just a case that we were poor and kids it's a case of the actual good quality titles you got in a year were almost single digit mm-hmm. and now we get maybe two or three essential plays every month mm-hmm. even on the quiet months mm-hmm. yeah. I, well I'm just much pickier about which ones I think are essential like even games that I think yeah that looks my speed and looks really good like uh, Neo from the start of this year is apparently oh, yeah, yeah, awesome yeah. Oh, but I'm like don't have time yeah. Can't do it. 
Yeah, that's, that's one of those games that I would uh, recommend to people play. But if you don't like Dark Souls, you can immediately go, I don't want to play that. Yeah. It was like me with Bayonetta 2. Like, I loved Bayonetta. But Bayonetta 2 came around, I was like, I just, just I'm going to assume that I love this and move on. Because <laughs> there's almost so many games now that it's kind of a relief when someone says it's like a game you don't like. You're like, oh, good, don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I disagree with the whole people going, uh, a 7 score is bad. And I'm going, a 7, a seven game is one that I'll be happy to play, but I don't play them. Because yeah. it's a case of, I, I don't need to play this. I actually think that is a big reason why people get so upset when it's not in the 8, 9, 10 region, is it's like... You know, oh, I wanted to play that, and now it's gone into my don't have time to play it category. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Nice. Does yeah. anyone else have anything else they want to chuck in? I've got one more thing, but looking around the table here, I, I, I think we. I would like to address the the vertical slice of Spider Man and, and the fact oh, that. The Insomniac felt the need they had to respond to the criticism of it, which I find utterly ridiculous, just because. It's a vertical slice. Of course they're going to show you a very controlled piece of gameplay that shows a number of mechanics and they want it to be cinematic and they want it to be representative of not only the experience but the feeling of being Spider-Man. So just so everyone knows what you're talking about, you're talking about the E3 trailer that was shown that was quite quick time event heavy. Yeah. Of of Insomniac Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. But I think you just touched on the issue. It was representative of an experience we've seen nothing else of. So people weren't saying... Uh, I don't like QTEs. They were saying you've shown us nothing but QTEs. In a sense, is that what the experience? Is yeah, I, I get the I get the criticism. For me, it, it's more of a case of, of course, that's not all there is because yeah. it's a a short, directed piece of gameplay that's supposed to give you an idea of what's happening. It's mm-hmm. not supposed to be this is everything that it is. And let's be honest here, watching Spider Man swing around an open world is kind of boring to watch. It doesn't really. It's, it's not compelling. It's not something that's going to capture an audience, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. You show us a, a fight scene with a helicopter and it's a lot more cinematic and it's a lot more dun-dun-dun. Mm. Um, whereas, I guess, more almost all of us are going, well, show us how well you know, Spider-Man actually traverses the city. But mm. I was expecting that to come later. But it's yeah. got so much... So many accusations that this game was going to be a QTE fest and that's all it was going to be. And I felt that they, that they felt the need to respond to it or the fact that criticism existed was a bit silly. Yeah. We, we do live in a world now where the culture is just crazy dissection of every trailer that comes up, you know, every frame by frame yeah. kind of stuff, you know, and did you see this and what about this and what does this mean? And it all kind of builds into that hype cycle. And I generally try and avoid that. Sometimes I find it really interesting the de- the like there was a Super Mario Odyssey trailer that some guy made a crazy in-depth video for just pointing out all the easter eggs and because I don't know Mario the Mario franchise that well I found it really interesting but on the whole I'm kind of like that's you're too invested in this you should just be playing games <laughs> instead of watching all the stuff yeah. and so I agree yeah. people should have especially because it's Insomniac should have given them the benefit of the doubt just so everyone's on the same page the Insomniac Twitter tweeted out um, it's a set piece blockbuster moment the core loop of the game is combat and traversal mm. so they were just sort of setting people's minds at ease with yeah yeah it's just it got there was I mean there was a, a couple of reddit threads on it and there was a bunch of discussion, uh, discussion I think NeoGaf had a whole bunch of things about them dissecting this vertical slice and trying to tell 
they, they were convincing themselves the game was going in a certain direction based on very limited information, which yeah. is kind of what happens a lot, as you were as Matt's alluding yeah. to. It's a uh, how good is your life when you can just do that? <laughs> when you can just take a trailer and speculate wildly, and you have time to type it on the yeah. internet? What? This is a topic for a future podcast, but I do feel that in many ways this is the exact opposite of what No Man's Sky was, where people are projecting a lot of things into the information they have, and that went a very different route. But people are kind of creating a narrative for a game that doesn't actually exist as a, you know, as something you can play, mm-hmm. and people are basing expectations on this and. I find that to be universally a bad idea because you essentially you are dictating what your baseline or what the game is going to be, which is bears no relation to what the game may or may not be. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's it. Alright, well to wrap up today, I'm going to talk about something super, super current because it's a game you can pick up right now if you're listening to this on release day and it is called That's You! with an exclamation mark and it's a game that Sony pimped before its E3 conference, I think. And it's one of those games like Jackbox where you have your mobile phone and you can play using your mobile phone. So it's a really good casual party game uh, where you know it asks you silly questions and you answer or it tells you to... I think probably the best part of it is um, you have to make a face that matches the face on the screen and your phone takes a picture of you and then all your faces come up, stuff like that. That's cool. That's really good. The rest of the game is balls. <laughs> this, this game is free on PlayStation Plus this coming month. Um... So check it out, I guess, but it's really bad. And I can't believe Sony is leading off this whole, they're calling it PlayLink, this whole mobile phone to PS4 thing. that It's an initiative that will have a lot of games. Apparently, super, is it Supermassive? No, um, who made Until Dawn? Whoever made that, they're making super a giant. game. Supergiant. Supergiant? No, they made Transit Bastion. Supermassive. Supermassive. Oh, you were right. Super giant massive? <laughs> Super gigantic? You might have been right the first time. Webby big balls. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so there's some people making some cool stuff for it, and I enjoy this because when people come around, I've got a lot of kind of people that aren't really gamers, but we get them playing board games and they love it, and we get them playing Jackbox and they love it, so this is another kind of thing we can all sit down and do. But this game is a piece of shit. Don't bother. That's You is the name of the game. That was us. (laughs) For Baz and Alan and Chris, I'm Matt McGuire. You've been listening to What Do You Got? And we'll see you in a fortnight. Peace. Peace.